welcome to So You Can Grow, a podcast for entrepreneurs where we confront the sacred cows of business, share our insights, and talk to insightful guests, all with the goal of helping you grow and prosper. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of So You Can Grow. I'm Andrew Smith, joined as usual by Lucas Mitchell. Lucas, how you doing, man? Good. How are you, Andrew? I am doing excellent. Uh, we're very thrilled to have on our guest, Nick Sinclair. Nick, welcome. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Nick, um, you know, really excited to chat with you today. Obviously, you have a, a really great story. I'll kind of run through your bio to get us started, and then we'll jump into some questions. But you know, your journey has been really incredible. I think uh, to me, as a person who kind of wasn't as in corporate as you were, but was in a W-2 and then kind of got into this, um, you know, entrepreneurial venture uh, side of things here. So in your career, you were a leader in pharmaceutical, financial service industries. You earned your stripes in operations management, information management, quality systems, products, consulting, you know, the list goes on. Um, but like I said, we wanted to have you on because you've parlayed all of that experience into leading this entrepreneurial venture um, so since 2020, you've been the CEO of Animal Bioscience, and um, you've led the innovation of this really groundbreaking pet supplement called Leap Years. We'll dive very deep into that. We want to hear a lot about that. Um, but just super, super excited for you to come on and share with us today. Great. Thanks. Thanks once again. It's great to be here. Great to talk. Awesome. So I gave the high level. But as people will hear, you're from Australia originally. Uh, so want to hear a little bit about your backstory, backstory, how your career started. And then as you go, you know, I'm sure Lucas will chime in with some, some follow-up questions for you. But I want to hear from you first on that. Sure, sure. Well, you know, I started my career uh, in pharmaceutical manufacturing, uh, doing quality management, um, actually making uh, baby food, baby formulas. Um, the company I was with, Wyeth Pharmaceuticals, they started making well, they were making um, drugs as well. So I moved into the drug side of things, started making the contraceptive pill or testing the contraceptive pill. So we had both sides of the market cornered at that stage. Um, so as, as we were working through um, pharmaceuticals, I started getting into laboratory information management um, and inventory management, supply chain management, and the uh, information management side of that uh, in the pharmaceutical world. Um after spending some time in the pharmaceutical industry, I took a very sharp left turn, as they say, um, and I translated it into the finance industry, as you mentioned, Andrew. Um, you know, it was that that transition from you know one corporate to another. Um, it was really interesting to see how the uh, processes, the quality management within financial services and pharmaceuticals differed, but also had so many similar processes that needed control. Um, so applying those um, learnings from pharmaceuticals into finance um, soon became you know, um, very successful in the finance industry, um, shaping and molding information. And as you mentioned, you know, um, a lot of the back end uh, operations management. Uh, so working in banking in the operations field, we were looking at workforce management, information management, really refining processes to make them more streamlined um, and better customer experience. Um, so I spent a lot of time, you know, in the banking industry, working in Australia, in the major banks, worked in the US for a little while with some of the major banks there, uh, and spent some time outsourcing some of those functions um, to offshore. So some of them went to India, um, some of them to the US, and we moved some of the functions around, uh, and I was responsible for a lot of the project management work within that. Um, I had a small consulting company that was working into financial services. That's how I entered the financial services world. Um, we soon grew to about a 50-strong consulting firm um, across the banks, doing everything from you know, tax advising. We had accountants and other financial services, um, but also mostly project management and operations management advice. Um, so that was going very well. Uh, I, again, uh, went uh, back into the corporate world and went native, so they say. You know, I was consulting to them. They offered me a job, and I joined the the bank in the ranks, um, and then spent you know time in the bank working in various roles from management information to finance management to operations management. Um, it was about the time um, as I was working in the upper uh, upper 
management of the bank that I really realized that um, I wasn't very, um, let's say, motivated by the work I was doing. Uh, my passion has always been for pets. It's always been for science. Uh, it's always been for animals. You know, I love my animals. I have dogs and cats, and I've always had animals around me. Um, and, you know, having that background in science and that passion, I didn't feel like I was fulfilling any of my passion. I was moving moving you know, decimal points around in numbers um, and advising for quality, but not really getting the essence of something I truly you know, saw as a vision. So I started looking at dog tracking collars, of all things, uh, with a friend. Information management seemed the right area to start moving into the pet industry. Um, and I decided to leave uh, the banking industry and uh, said thanks very much and resigned. And strangely enough, uh, my brother, David Sinclair, who is an uh, ageing scientist at Harvard, uh, he's been a professor there for the last 30 years, rang me up the next day after I resigned and said, hey, I'm starting an animal company um, doing longevity in animals. And uh, Dad mentioned you were looking at tracking collars. I said, yep, that sounds great. Excellent, I'd love to. And he said, okay, well, you'll have to quit your job at the bank. And I said, well, that's fine. I did yesterday. So I can start today. <laughs> he didn't know that I'd left my job at the bank. Um, and I started the next day uh, at Animal Biosciences. So I interviewed with the team at Life Biosciences, our par parent company at the time, independent of my brother. Uh, and I took on the lead, uh, oh, took on the COO role. So as um, Chief Operations Officer, uh, we had a different CEO at the time. Um and really, that allowed me to take all of the learnings that I had from all of my operational management, uh, all of my quality management, and everything that comes with a COO role fit very well into you know the role that I stepped into. And that was in 2018, uh, 2017, 2018, that started. Uh, and soon after, I moved my, my family from Sydney, Australia, where I uh, had lived, and moved to Boston. And uh, we've been living in Boston for the last five years uh, and uh, working in animal biosciences, changing the world. That, that's so cool. I, there's so much to unpack there, Nick. Uh, what a cool <laughs> story. I have, I have like a laundry list of questions, but we're going to try to keep it as brief as possible. So sure. I guess... I'll try not to wrap it up. Is, <laughs> is it, uh, I guess before I start asking my question, is it fair to call animal biosciences a startup still? Like, where do you kind of see you guys? Where do you fit in in terms of, you know, the landscape of companies and, and where you guys are? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, we still do consider ourselves a, a startup. Uh, we've just commercialized our first product, as Andrew mentioned. Um, we have a product called Leap Years, uh, which is a daily supplement for dogs um, that we've proven to... Um, enhanced cognition in dogs uh, it's also increasing activity we have owners saying things to us like my old dog is like a puppy again um, so we've taken the, the harvard science and applied that into the animal biosciences world um, we've been in business for five years it took us three years to develop the molecules it took us another two years to actually develop the product the formulation the supply chain to get it to market so it took us five years to get it from you know, woe to go. Um, we still consider our, ourselves a startup. We are small. You know, we, we have a core team of four people. Um, we surround ourselves with excellent advisors and consultants um, that you know, allow us to expand um, and scale as we need to and where we need to. Um, but you know, as a team of four with a, a, um, a product that has just recently launched you know, in the last 12 months, we, we still consider ourselves on the cusp of startup. Heading towards a mega giant. Yeah, I mean, I for sure. Like the the vision is huge, and I think it's a, a super super cool product. Um, so I guess what my question was going to be, and that's why I wanted you to clarify if you consider yourself a startup. Hmm. You know, you're obviously an operational expert uh, with a lot of background in operations and, and running companies. I'm curious. You know, most of our listeners are. I would say, you know, small to medium sized businesses, no, no really large companies. A lot of our listeners are just starting their entrepreneurial journey. What are some of the key differences you notice between running a startup and running like, you know, and also a lot of our listeners are leaving or have left recently 
corporate W-2 jobs to get into their own ventures. And so what would you say some of the key differences are people should really be aware of or think Mm -hmm. of running a lean startup like you are now compared to, you know, a corporate giant like you have in the past? Yeah, you know, I know you guys would probably know yourselves. It's ultimately the buck stops with you. When you're in a corporate job, um, there's always a group of people who will stand there and be responsible for the outcome. Um, Whether it's a set of executives, whether it's the people in your team, whether you're leading a small team or a large team, it's a group of people responsible and there's always somebody above you to escalate to. Um, Or even in the case of large corporations, they can push it down into the executive and push it the other way. Um, When it comes to entrepreneurial things, it all stops with you. As the entrepreneur at the head of the company, the motivation to do it stops with you. The money to do it stops with you. The way the money is spent stops with you. Uh, If you're not thinking about it and you're not driving it, then probably nobody else in your company is either. Um, You know, you may find that different motivations motivate people in corporate environments. It might be climbing the ladder. Um, It might be having an outcome of running a great team and getting some great results. and I think in the entrepreneurial world, it's it's a different attitude that you need to have. It is. This is mine. I'm the one that runs this. Ultimately responsible. The buck stops with me. And I have the choice to get the right people to do the right job at the right time. And that, again, that choice stops with me. If I choose the wrong people and they don't do the job at the right time, it stops with me. I don't blame the people. I blame myself for picking the wrong people. So, you know, ultimately... Um, you know, when you when you step into this environment, it's it's one hundred to ten percent all of the time. You can't say, "Oh, I'm going to take eighty percent." You know, I'm going to dedicate eighty percent of my effort to this. Um, it just doesn't work. You have to put in one hundred and ten percent, or you just don't go anywhere. That's what I've seen in my experience, anyway. Okay, Nick, what you just said is so cool. Like, we align on a lot of different levels, but I think. For our listeners, something that's really important here that they'll hear me preach all the time is the ownership and how that impacts your whole culture. Now, what what I found super interesting on what you said is like everything you referenced about running a startup was about you. It wasn't about anybody else. And so when we talk about like establishing a culture in a company too, you know, that starts with the entrepreneur and the person at the head. And if you have that mentality of, you know, taking ownership of everything that happens in the company, likely the people around you are going to have that attitude also, which makes running the company a little bit easier, right? But you're you're so right. Like, I think I heard, I don't remember who it was. I heard an influencer on online say one day, one time, like, you can't expect your employees to put in as much effort as you do because it's not their company. <laughs> it's like, well, you're you're right. But at the same time, I feel like if you're constantly taking that ownership and putting that effort you'll see that a lot of people will follow you, right? But if you're giving 80%, I guarantee you no one else is giving 100. So yeah, I, I would, just so, so cool. And I think like you can see that in the what your company has become. Just look in the online presence. I have two dogs. I'm getting I'm getting leap years ads on my Facebook. So I see the I see the product uh being out there and it's just obvious the attention to detail and the ownership you guys take and it it's just hearing you say it's like, oh, it makes perfect sense because Nick understands what entrepreneurship's about. <laughs> so very, very, very cool. I don't know that I had a yeah. follow up question. Just just I, I thought that was really, really important what he said. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the the you know the leadership is one thing. The the empowerment of the people within your company is the other thing. Um, I'm very much about, you know, the authority goes with the responsibility. Um, you know, if so, you give something to somebody and they're responsible for it, then you should give the authority to them to make the decisions about it at the same time and be responsible for it. And I think that alignment gains that ownership. If you know that you're the one that's got the the yes or no, but also the responsibility for if it works or not, you know, that certainly makes you own it a lot more. If somebody else is making the decisions, it's passed down and people are responsible for it, but they can't make any decisions around it, they don't have the authority, it stifles them. They end up in this, I'm trying to make a decision or do the right thing. Um, And uh, yeah, and uh, it's better just to empower them and say, this is your responsibility. And I think cascading that, as you say, you you are ultimately responsible, but you can build a culture 
that passes that that ownership down. You don't have to hold all of it. It's not about not delegating. It's about understanding what's ownership versus responsibility versus versus authority. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We say in our company, like we, our culture of extreme accountability is everybody's accountable to everybody, yeah. right? So just because Andrew and I run the company uh, doesn't mean nobody else has any responsibilities, but it also means we have responsibilities to them, right? So if we have a problem Correct. in our company, we have a conversation. The conversation is like, this is how I know I could have done better. This is how I know I could have helped you know what the expectation was. I could have given you the materials or the support you need to do your job, whatever. That's my yep. part. And then I also expect them to own their part, right? And it's like, 100%. hey, I could have asked yeah. more questions. I could have done this. And that's kind of how you set that that foundation. Just super. And I, I would be I would be shocked if some of that maybe is just part of who you are. But part of your experience in the corporate world also probably helped you realize that approach doesn't work, right? That top-down, push-down approach 100%. doesn't work. That's why there's lack of motivation in, in a lot of giant corporate companies. No, nobody's setting their own targets. Nobody's got the tools or the authority they need to make decisions but they're expected to do something that's probably not even possible a lot of the times without the authority to to execute on it yeah yeah exactly i mean that's you know in any organizational structure you know the width of the structure versus the information that's available to the people versus the authority versus the responsibility you know if any of those are out of alignment um, you don't have enough information to make decisions but you're responsible for making them very difficult to do um, you know, if you don't have authority, but you're still responsible, you know, the motivation dies pretty quickly. If you have all of those things balanced in the right way, um, it's a lot easier for people to be empowered and feel like they're adding value. Uh, but if you try to give them half the story and tell them to do all of the job, it's very difficult for people to succeed in those environments. So, you know, as you say, that open communication about what can we do, what do I do better, what do you do better, and you know, what is it that's going to meet this outcome it's that information management but that information flow um you know that keeps all of these things really really solid that's great to hear i love that um i did have a follow-up kind of these three different things that we've talked about like all the things that you've learned or or i guess ultimately the question is how much did you know know when you got into this right and then how much have you learned along the way like what what kind of flipped the script on you or changed your mindset or change your outlook along the way to get mm. to this point um, where you, you seem very, um, you know, fixed and understanding that about this, this entrepreneurial kind of environment that you're operating. Um, I mean, the simple question of what did I know? What do I know? My answer is always nothing. I always realize that I don't know enough. Um, but one of the major things that motivates me is trying to learn new things. I'm the sort of person that will see a challenge and say, okay, let's just try it. Might not go well, um, but let's try it anyway. And if it doesn't work, we'll change it and we'll do it a different way. Um, I'm never one really to say, oh, I, I can't do that. I'm not going to try. Um, I'm more likely to get the right people around me to advise me and say, if I'm going to try this, how should I do it? They'll say, try it this way and I'll just give it a go. Um, so, you know, it's very much the the attitude of, um, you know, just I think the entrepreneurial attitude in some ways is just you you just have to keep on trying um, to get to, to where you want to go. Um, you know, how does that translate from a corporate world into a, an entrepreneurial world? Um, again, you know, you, you've just got to keep on, keep on at it. There is no – I think one of the, the biggest – I guess misnomers about being an entrepreneur is uh, it's easy. You become the boss. You're the boss. You can do whatever you want. You're the boss. It's just not the case. Um, it is harder and more difficult and more complex than anything else you could possibly imagine. Um, you both have to be uh, the jack of all trades um, or at least understand enough about every piece of your business to be able to interrogate it the right way and ask the right questions. Um, but you also have to have specific knowledge in domain expertise in in things to be effective. So do I know enough? No. Will I ever know enough? No. Um, but will I try everything I can and get the people around me to advise me so I feel like I'm doing the right thing? Yeah, 100%. Um, and I'm not afraid to make a decision and then say, whoops, that was the wrong one, and make another one. 
Um, there's no such thing as a bad decision. It just needs another good decision on top of it to change it. Um, so I very much believe you just push ahead. If it doesn't work, you just push ahead and try something different. Okay. I'm not sure whether that's a, that's me, whether that's the entrepreneurial attitude. It does generate risk sometimes that I jump into things that I don't know enough about. Um, but you know, the deep end of the pool is the great place to swim. You, know, you don't want to be at the shallow end. <laughs> uh, Andrew, I don't know if we're going to be able to like, we're going to have too many clips from this episode. There's just too much gold. <laughs> I, I would I'm say, like trying Nick, to make notes. I can't keep up. It's too good. I, I align incredibly well with what you're saying. So I would say maybe that is the entrepreneurial uh, attitude. But I mean, a couple of the things you said, just just highlighting them, like, you know, the fact that one, you're not afraid to try things like I, I think that's super important. Andrew and I talk about that all the time It's just like, hey, you can decide how much how many resources, like whether it's time or dollars or whatever you want to put into something you're not sure about. Yep. Um, that doesn't mean you have to try to take it all the way to the finish line, but at least like get your feet wet, see if you like it. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then, you know, you also said making decisions uh, quickly sometimes creates some risk. I literally was on somebody's like uh, course or uh, mastermind the other day, and I was talking about this exact same thing. It's like I literally just make decisions fast and I course correct even faster. Like, yeah. you know, when I realized <laughs> I made the wrong decision, it's like, OK, you're just one choice. away. What's the next thing I can do? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, absolute, absolute gold for the listeners. <laughs> And I would say too, you know, it's, right. it's funny. I think a lot of people, one of the things we're trying to do with Nourish and So is we're trying to eliminate the facade of entrepreneurship and, and yeah. kind of like, ta like go head on against these sacred cows of business ownership and really enlighten people as to what it takes to be a business owner and entrepreneur. And, uh, you know, I feel like with social media and, and all the ways people get information out there, there's this culture of like, well, everyone should be an entrepreneur. You should leave your job, start a business. And like most, the attitude most people have is like, I don't want to work for somebody else. So I'm going to go start my own business. And the reality, which you said, and I'm going to put it maybe a slightly different way is when you're an entrepreneur, you actually work for more people. <laughs> like that's actually the reality, right? Like I realize every day, you know, one of my companies has 500 employees, Nourish and So we have like seven and some contractors and I work for all of them. So yeah. at the end of the day, that is my job, right? Is, yeah. is to make sure everybody has the resources and the information mm -hmm. and the tools they need to be successful. And if I'm not doing that, I'm not doing my job. So really, I work for, you know, more than 500 people as opposed to just one boss. So yeah. just putting that out there for everybody, not that you shouldn't, if you feel called to be an entrepreneur, you should. But what Nick is saying is very, very true. It's not like you just leave your job one day and become an entrepreneur and all of a sudden you have no rules and no bosses and nobody to report to. And maybe some of that's true, but at the end of the, if you, you know, so if you're not, if you're not still doing those things, because all of a sudden you have all this freedom, you're not going to be successful. You're, you're not going to make it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. I mean, the, the level of complexity goes up by a factor of 10. Um, it's not just the, you know, the effort, the vision, the working for yourself, uh, even the number of people that you, you know, stakeholders you have or people that are your, that you report to, um, the complexity of having to run every element and be across every element of the company. As a CEO, um, you know there are entrepreneurs who aren't CEOs, and they put other people in those jobs. Um, not many, um, or they're part of an entrepreneurial team. Um, but still, you know, when I look at you know, the complexity of what we have to deal with on a daily, what I have to deal with, or my executive team has to deal with. Um, Anyway, it does differ by industry. Um, I've been in service industries. I've been in um, physical manufacturing industries. And it does depend. Um, actually making a product is a lot different to selling a service. Um, you know, consulting versus you know, making a, a dog chew is vastly different. Um, and one of the biggest things I've found is that the, um, the agility you need to be resilient as a small company that's all you've got. You've got resilience. Your resilience is your agility. In a big company, your resilience is the number of people that have, the capital you have behind you, your brand reputation as a big company, probably been out there a long time, and you can manage these things with a lot of people. In a small company, if you face an issue, you've got to deal with it very quickly and by yourself in most cases. 
and that's it. You've just got to turn it around. So um, it's not just the running of the company. It's the changes and the humps. It's the roller coaster ride, um, you know, and sometimes you're screaming and, you know, sometimes you're screaming for joy and sometimes you're screaming for pain. But uh, it's it's got a lot more ups and downs in the corporate world. Let's talk about that one. So just trying to manage the uh, ride, riding that roller coaster and understanding that the screaming can all be fun. Uh, then yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's it's funny because my wife's uh, my wife's an adrenaline junkie. Like loves roller coasters, like jumping off buildings, all that crazy stuff. And that Match is not made me. In heaven. Yeah, right. I mean, well, well, that's not me. But she's like, I, I'm I am an adrenaline junkie. I tell her I just get my adrenaline from different things than you do. Yeah. Like my yeah. my adrenaline fix comes from how am I going to pay the employees next week yeah. <laughs> you know, instead of. How, what's the tallest building I can jump off of? And, yeah. you know, like well, the, that's, <laughs> that's why I thought it's the perfect match. You're both adrenaline junkies, just in different ways. Just yeah. in different ways. Yeah. And I'm like, I see her like wanting to do, you know, even like hot air balloon ride. I'm like, I don't know about that. And she's like, all for it. I'm like, but I'm, but meanwhile, I'll start a company tomorrow if someone gives me a good idea. And next week, I'll be figuring out how everyone's going to get paid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the way it goes. I think that's another thing about being an entrepreneur. I see a lot more ideas. Mm. Um, I see a lot more opportunities than I did in the corporate world. And I spend a lot of my time almost selecting which opportunities I want to take. Um, I could spend my time on that or I could take up this other opportunity, but often I'm bringing myself back to priorities around, no, no, I'm focused here on animal biosciences, focused on animals, um, because all sorts of things come across my plate as an entrepreneur. Um, as you build networks, which is one of the biggest things as an entrepreneur is building networks with people, um, as they expand, different opportunities come up. And often I'm looking going, oh, that's a good opportunity. Oh, I'd like to do that. And I've just got to put my blinkers on and say, no, keep focused because it's, you know, you can end up with too many, um, too many fingers and not enough pies, as they say. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big fan of, you know, building something getting it stabilized and just, you know, you're, maybe you get to the phase of where there's incremental growth, but you're kind of through the exponential growth phase and, you know, then building a team to kind of run it and, and slowly grow it. And then you can look for your next opportunity, but it is true. What you say as an entrepreneur, it's hard because there's all these different ideas all the time and you want to go a million different directions and you do have to just like really, really stay focused. Yeah. So Andrew, let's, let's talk about, leap years like i want to know mm-hmm. i i want to know about the company about the product um you know i have a mixed german shepherd dog who's 12 years old and mm-hmm. we have a seven month old uh german shepherd puppy a purebred german shepherd puppy that we just we got i don't know six months ago or whenever mm-hmm. and i went to the uh, we're nourish and so is a dog culture company i mean there's like I think we have reels Excellent. of everybody's dogs on Instagram. Like we're just we're pets. We have more sure. dogs than people. Awesome. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I That's love true. It. <laughs> That's true. I, so I went to the vet for like one of the checkups with our older dog, and it was mm-hmm. the best vet visit visit we've had in a few years. Right. And I was like, wow, we brought the puppy home, and all of a sudden, like it's anti aging for our older dog, <laughs> right? She's out playing and running around crazy. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious, like. Besides getting a puppy, <laughs> like how does leap years help your dog stay young and healthy? And, and what's what's the product? I mean, what, what do you what do you guys do? So yeah, this started in um, Harvard Science. Um, as I mentioned, my brother's been a, um, a professor at Harvard studying um, aging, molecular biology and, um, and aging, and how to um, stop the effects of aging or stop aging, um, as he describes it, as a disease. Um, and a lot of the um, aging research in in recent times, especially in the human field, um, has been targeting several hallmarks of aging. Be it you know you probably heard, heard of telomere shortening, you probably heard of mitochondrial dysfunction, you might have heard all of these things thrown around: NAD boosters, senolytics, gene therapies. You know, there's a multitude of ways in the scientific field that have been addressing trying to target the underlying mechanisms of aging. Um, and to be honest, it's happening. The scientific field is finding ways that we can mitigate aging, um, stop the diseases of aging. And now they're talking about age reversal. Um, so gene therapies and technologies that can actually reverse age, not just slow it down. 
Um, so, you know, this technology has been evolving, as I said, for the last 20 years. It's just now coming to the fore um, in the human world. And what animal bioscience has done is taken that technology and we're the first ones to take um, aging technology that's been proven and put it into dogs and prove that it works in dogs. Um, so the two mechanisms we target are NAD boosting and senolytics or senescent cells. Um, so the NAD boosting side in the in the elevator pitch, you might remember your uh, days of biology. You know, your mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Uh, it's the place where all the energy happens in every cell of your body. Um, as we age, there's a molecule or an enzyme in your mitochondria that decreases naturally as you age, called NAD. Um, it's responsible for, it's an enzyme in the chemical reactions within your mitochondria. Without it, you start getting mitochondrial dysfunction, which means things that the energy production within your cells is compromised. But the other thing that happens there is things like DNA repair, DNA replication, um, and all the things that happen in the cell around mutations um, and other things that are dealt with by the cell. Um, but as you get older and these mitochondrial functions decrease, those mutations and those genetic functions start getting out of whack. And we call it, talk about epigenetic loss um, in, that, in that state. So what the scientists found is if you boost that NAD back up to youthful levels, you reinvigorate the mitochondria, the mitochondria metabolism starts working better. So the genes start working better and it turns on what we call the longevity genes, um, the sirtuin genes. And these are genes that have been shown to extend lifespan in mice and, and other animals. Um, but also the mitochondrial function, that extra energy is happening in every cell of the body. And as an effect, you see that um, people who take NAD boosters and now dogs that take our NAD boosters get a real energy boost from it. Now, when I say energy, I don't mean calories. I mean energy is in vitality. You feel a, um, um, you know, invigorated, I guess, is a good word for it. Um, you know, my, uh, NAD boosting has been, as I said, in, in humans for a long time. We were the first ones to take that technology into dogs. So we started trials, uh, laboratory testing, doing safety, those sorts of things about two years ago. Um, and we just had a look at the other part of our um, our product, which is a senolytic, which is so senescent cells are cells that divide in your body. And when they're finished dividing, cells are supposed to die and be reabsorbed back into your body. Senescent cells don't die. They go into what's called a zombie state. And they just sit there and secrete inflammatory proteins and secrete cytokines and secrete all sorts of chemicals into your, into your blood. Now, you need some of them because they're good for wound healing. They are part of your immune system. But what happens over time is these accumulate and they start causing inflammation in the body. Rather than being part of a function, they actually accumulate and become part of the problem. And senescent cells have been associated with all sorts of things, diseases, even cancers, um, and various other things. Um, so what scientists found in the human space is using these sen uh, senolytics to remove senescent cells, especially in old people, um, reduced signs of frailty in old people. So people could sit, stand quicker, they could walk over a distance, they got better grip strength, and they've done studies in humans to show that these senolytic compounds affect human frailty. So at Animal Biosciences, we took both of those compounds and we said, what if we put them together? And we actually found that we got a 1 plus 1 equals 3 result out of it. We got more than the NAD booster alone and more than the senolytic alone. We actually got a better result clinically. Um, and that's when we took it into our clinical trial. So we did a two-year clinical trial with uh, North Carolina State University. We enrolled 65 dogs. It was about 70 dogs at the end of the trial. And it was a double-blinded, placebo-controlled trial. So half the dogs don't get the – a third of the dogs didn't. The other two-thirds got two different doses. And then we measured them for cognitive function, activity, um, and all the other things that are related to um, decline. And, uh, yeah, we've just finished that trial. Uh, we're just about to publish the results of that trial. And I can very happily say that we've got some really positive outcomes that we can prove – around how we're affecting dogs, um, especially their cognition. Um, we've had some remarkable results around what's called cognitive um, CCD, so canine cognitive dysfunction in dogs. Um, we've had some pr really promising results around reducing the effect of, of cognitive decline. Um, 
as well as around you know owners reporting increased activity, uh, increased vigor, uh, increased happiness. Um, so all of these hallmarks of aging we're seeing, and these are really decrepit dogs that were in our trial. I mean, they had to be enrolled with some form of dementia, um, and usually ambulatory issues like they couldn't walk. Uh, they've got some sort of um, other issues. Um, yeah, and we had a our product had a positive effect on on all of them uh, in different ways. So you know, our product's been out there for we launched in April of last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started in the veterinary channel to get veterinarians on board to understand the science. I mean, it's new science for veterinarians, so we had a big education piece. Um, and then we started transitioning more into the direct consumer world. And we operate a dual channel um, strategy now. Um, and it's all you know, web-enabled, straight-through processing, fully scalable. Um, yeah, and that's where we're at with the product now. So you know, people can buy it. We've had um, we have a, the on our website the ability to provide customer testimonials. Tell us about how well your dog is going. Um, we probably get two or three a week from our customers just reaching out to us to tell us how what a difference it's made to their dog. Um, you know, if people go on our website and have a look at some of these videos, um, these people are ecstatic. They've got their old dog back. It's like oh, he's a puppy again, or you know, he was drifting off and he used to bark at the wind, and now he's reengaged and he's. He's back cuddling again like he used to. You know, it's really, it's fundamentally changing the way that we we view aging in a dog, which, uh, which is great. So that's where we're at. That's just so cool. So what, mm. what uh, like, you know, I guess for listeners out there that have dogs, if they're interested in exploring leap years, like what, where, what dog is the, is your uh, supplement? use is it any dog or you know is it like specifically older dogs or what what's the qualifications there it's targeted um so what we recommend is that you start leap years around 50 percent of your dog's lifespan so you know if it's a younger dog it's a little bit older if it's a bigger dog it's a little bit younger Um, but around 50 percent. so if they've got a 10-year lifespan you start about five um you can start as early as when they've finished maturity um and that, that's when the senescent cells start accumulating. You may not be deficient in NAD at that stage, or they may not be. Um, so early on in those first years, um, it will be beneficial, but when it really starts taking effect is when the NAD starts declining around midlife. Um, where you'll see the most effect you know, around midlife is the preventative care. Uh, if you start there, if you start at about 75% of the dog's age, so when they're, you know, the time when you say, my dog looks like they're slowing down, that's when you see the direct effect and the result where they bounce back. And the more decrepit they are, the more they seem to bounce back. Um, so you know, we recommend middle of life. If your dog's around 50% of its expected lifespan, then yeah, get it on as soon as you can. Awesome. You're, you're, uh, I just want to be clear. You're not a biologist, right? My background's in applied science, so I have a science element to my background, but I'm not a biologist, no. I'm, a, I'm more of a, a manufacturing scientist, let's put it that so, way. <laughs> this is just so cool for our listeners. Like, Andrew will hear, like, I'm, I'm definitely the, the guy that's going to go on and say, you know, people make entrepreneurship too complicated in a sense that they think they have to be the next Facebook. Yeah. When really... I know a couple guys who own landscaping companies that make way more money uh, and have a way better quality of life than most people I know. Uh, you know, and so there, there's yep. there's not one generation. It's cool to sit down with you who's doing something that's new and innovative and is going to change, you know, the world in a lot of senses and, and how we, mm. you know, the lifespan of our pets and how we interact with them in older age and and do that kind of entrepreneurship that, you know, to me is like, I mean... I've, I people think I'm like brave and take a lot of risk. What you're doing to me is like absolutely phenomenal. It's it's crazy and phenomenal at the same time. It's really cool to hear, you know, somebody doing something that's that's changing, um, changing the way that that the world works in a lot of ways, and, and yes. it's, it's very cool. Mm, thank you. I mean, it's you know, as I say, it's it's a great job because the passion for animals is there. I get up every day knowing that I'm helping people's dogs. Um, and my dog, um, and every dog. So you know, that's that in itself is um, 
even a, a reward enough for doing the job is just helping the dogs. Um, but on top of it, it's a, it's a daily challenge that I enjoy doing. And that risk factor is certainly there. When I talk about complexity of product, you know, if you're building a piece of software, you know, the next Uber, um, yes, it's a challenge. And yes, there's a lot to it. Um, but the complexity of it is a lot less than actually manufacturing a product. When you go from, I have to make the materials, the raw materials, um, you know, they could be made offshore, onshore, they have to be taken to suppliers that actually turn it into a tube. You've got to have labeling, you've got to have packaging, you're regulated. And then you get to the bit where you've actually got to build the software to sell it or the infrastructure to sell it or the distribution partners to sell it. And at the, the level of complexity goes up by 10 just by adding a product. You then add other products in your mix and it goes up again. You know, you have five SKUs. Now you have 10 SKUs. Now I've got five. Now, now I'm doing skin as well as I'm doing, you know, longevity or I'm doing shampoos or I'm doing, not that we are. Um, but, you know, that level of complexity in manufacturing changes significantly. I found in business consulting and doing project management, it was about people management 90%. Um, now it's more like 90% people management and another 90% of operational management. Hence, you know, <laughs> you know, hence we're making it about 180%. It's, um, the people management never goes away, but the complexity of manufacturing takes it up significantly. And for any of your listeners that actually make a product, a physical product, they'll understand what I'm talking about. You know, a lot of these lead times, we need a product by this stage, right, let's go back in the supply chain. Uh-oh, we don't have enough lead time to make the product we need. You know, those sorts of things push way back um, into your supply chain and into those discussions. You're negotiating things that are very distant from your company in a way, but ultimately affect your outcome significantly. So it's, you know, it is a definitely a different world when you have products in it. So, well, and I can imagine too, like size of company, like you know, if you're working with a manufacturer and you want a lot of something. Uh, you have a little bit of leverage in those negotiations potentially. When you're a very small company starting out trying to get things manufactured, that's probably different. And they basically tell you like, this is what we'll do. Or like, you could not use us. We don't really care. I would imagine there's some of that that goes into it too, right? And finding the right supplier for your size. And I can imagine there's a ton of nuance. Well, you know, the NAD booster that we make is novel. We had to start from scratch with a pharmaceutical manufacturer to make to synthesize it from nothing. Nobody else in the world makes the NAD booster we make. Um, so there's obviously the scale of that. Um, you know, if I look at the way, even our packaging, the way our Senolytic and NAD booster combo works is you take the Senolytic for two days and then you take the NAD booster for the rest of the month. Well, it's a combination for the first two days when the Senolytic clears out those cells. And what we find is, when we put in the NAD booster and the senolytic cells are cleared out, the NAD rises more because the senescent cells are cleared out. Um, so the regime or the, the way you take it is first two days, one type of tube, and the rest of the month, it's a different type of tube. So inside the jar, I don't think I have one, um, it's got a separate bag that contains two chews, and then there's another 30 chews of the different type. Even trying to explain that, we went to our supply our manufacturers and said, guys, we've got two chews. They're in a bag. You've got to put a bag inside the bottle. They were like, what? We've never done that before. What, what do you mean a bag? In a, what do you Perfectly mean you've got near two? the top, right? <laughs> exactly. Ideally, we it's don't... the first thing the customer grabs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can't shake down. We've got to test it. Will it fit in the bag? You know, what about the quality in the bag? Will it you know, the leach in and out of the bag? All of the... the um, the requirements you have, and then it has to meet regulations. It's got to be the right plastic. It's got to be the right bag. So we turn up to all of these suppliers and say, we'd like to do this. And they turn their heads sideways and go, what? Really? <laughs> so even trying to innovate into an industry, we are constantly pushing the boundaries, even in our packaging. Um, you know, we're manufacturing new molecules. We've got new packaging. And we're trying to explain both the science, but also you know, the complexity of the manufacturing that goes with doing these different this different approach. Um, so underlying all of that, and one of the biggest things you'll find in science, and it's not so much in the big pharmaceutical companies, obviously, they've got lots of money and they're spending it wildly. But the biggest risk is that the science doesn't work. We could have started this company. We could have said, yeah, let's do NAD boosters and put them in a dog and spent millions of dollars literally 
on getting to where we are and finished our trial, and it could have said, no, there's no effect. (laughs) So the fact that we've been able to take it all the way through and validate it point by point to the point where we have a proven product in the dog world, that is quite novel. You know, most dog products don't prove their efficacy to the level that we do or we have. So that's that's very cool. So you're just talking about risk, and I know Andrew, we gotta we gotta wrap soon. But this is this episode's so good. Um, <laughs> we can do a part guess, two if you like. <laughs> I, yeah, there might be a part two. There's a. I guess I'm I'm a very simpleton entrepreneur in the sense that like you know you're talking about built new molecules, and I'm like in in you know, the way that you guys do things. And I'm like, well, we use 8% milk fat in our milkshakes. Like it's the highest in the industry, <laughs> you know, like very simple, uh, very simple way of doing entrepreneurship. And there's not a right way and a wrong way. Right. But what I'm hearing from you is if you want to do something new, it you have to be at an even higher level than going out and doing something. So, cause there's all these problems that you can't even foresee that are going to happen that no one yeah. else has encountered before. Cause they're all new. Yeah. that you have to figure out how to navigate through. And at the same time, you don't even know if it's going to work. So I guess one question I do have for those people out there starting a new journey, or, you know, maybe they are going to build a new product or, um, you know, manufacture a product. How can, how do you go about, and this is where a lot of entrepreneurs get stuck is they get stuck on what if it doesn't work? What if I mm-hmm. can't pay my bills? What if mm-hmm. I, you know, can't keep a roof over my family's head or food on the table? Or what if simply it doesn't work? Or what if I mess it up? Right. And I guess, is there a way to doing something as complex as you guys are doing? Was there a way at the beginning where you built confidence that it was going to work? So while you're going through the process of these trials and doing all this stuff, did you, it was, the, yeah. were you like, I'm con- I'm pretty confident it's going to work. So I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. Or was it, at, was it the whole time? Like, man, we're doing all this work. We don't even know if this is going to work yet. And then all of a sudden one day, like, Hey, it worked. Cool. <laughs> like we got lucky. It's, yeah. It's a little bit of both in the science world um, because there's, there's uh, independent science and then there's a self-validating science. So we knew it was going to work on the basis that it works in humans. And we can see it works in humans, so therefore it should work in a dog. So we started studies that were small. We started with like 20 dogs of friends and family and said, here, have some NAD boosters and tell us in a month how your dog's going. And they said, it made a difference. But you can't take that to the the market and say 20 of my friends thought it worked, so here's a new product. (laughs) So, you know, it's it's about incremental steps to build your own confidence as well as building you know, consumer confidence. Um, when you're in development, I guess there's no consumer confidence there. But we all we kept validating. So we do safety. We say, yeah, we know it's safe. Okay, let's proceed. Okay, we've done a small test in friends' dogs. We think it works. Good. Okay, let's do a laboratory study. So we enlisted 16 dogs in a study um, in a laboratory environment, beagles. We put tracking collars on them um, just for activity. And we kept them in a closed environment because tracking activity of dogs with owners is very difficult because it's always inspired by the owner. Your dog moves more if you move more. Um, So we did a laboratory study that actually kept them in a confined environment where we could measure their activity. And we found the treated dogs moved more than the non-treated dogs. So they moved with more vigor. We could see it in the tracking devices and they were actually sleeping better. So again, that's a study that we can say, yes, we can show. But from a consumer confidence point of view, it's us measuring our own thing to say it works. Well, yes, you know that's not that's not something that will necessarily inspire true confidence because it's not independent. Um, but it gave us the idea that yes, we've got an impact on activity here. Let's move to a clinical trial and go fully into the market and do this fully risky clinical trial, knowing we had some level of evidence, you know, in that small study that we did. So, I guess with anything, it's the you know, as we were saying, check and adjust, make a decision, check and adjust and try and de-risk it at every stage. So get to a milestone and say, right, I made it to this. What does it mean for me to proceed to the next thing? What's the risk? What's the reward? What's the outcome going to be? How long is it going to take? What are the hurdles going to be? And once you make the decision to set out, you just set out and you check and adjust along the way until you get to the next milestone. I think that's that's the way we've depro- we've approached it. And 
We've been fortunate enough that that progression has always shown more value. Each step we've taken showed more value. I'm sure it could have gone another way and we could have stepped and shown less value and then had to take another side step and do something else or show something else or add something else. But you know, I think it's that check and adjust mentality to de-risk um, that really, really helps. So yeah, just one it, step, next step, next step, next step. That's it. Next step, Keep right? trying. Yep. As I said, that it's is- not necessarily a bad decision. You just need another one to correct it. Yep. I mean, that is literally entrepreneurship, regardless if you're starting something new, doing something super innovative, or, you know, you started a landscaping company, like the example you used earlier, it's just once, mm-hmm. you know, get that first lawn. All right. Hopefully they, hopefully you do a great job and they tell their neighbors or hopefully yeah. they know, maybe they know someone who owns a strip center and now you got a corporate client, just one step, one step, one step. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing which you will know in, a, in any business, um, talking about who's the boss and you know, running your own business. In any entrepreneurial business, the customer interaction is 100% number one. If you're in a landscaping business and you've got the best landscape, but you can't talk to the owner of the house about what you've done, you're not going to be successful. Um, If you're running a dog company and you've got the best product out there, but you can't explain to people why it's good for your dog, you may as well not start. Um, Most of it is about communications with your customer and driving that. I mean, I know you guys, when you've been running your business, it's all about communication with the customer. Even if you deliver a great product, if you're not communicating with the customer the right way, it doesn't matter how good your product is. So I think that's one of the bigger, the, the key learnings I've had is make sure you're communicating with everybody all the time. <laughs> that's so good. That's so good. So Nick, before we hit the finish line, I want to just kind of um, hear from you on two two things. One, I guess, as you stand right now, what are you guys most proud of or you you individually most proud of? And then what's exciting that's sort of in the next few months or down the road later this year that's really kind of uh, your next milestone or your next thing that's really driving you forward? Yeah. Um, hmm. So what are we most proud of? I think being able to bring a product from not an existent through to in the market and seeing it help dogs. Um, you know, I, I guess I'm a bit of a mushy kind of person sometimes. Um, I try not to be, but I often find myself on Instagram or on um, getting feedback from customers who write into our help desk to tell us about how great it is for their dogs. Um, and I often find myself with a tear in my eye going, oh, isn't that wonderful? We've helped somebody's dog. It, it's really, really inspiring. So, I guess I'm most proud of the fact that we are helping dogs out there, that we are you know, helping people and their dogs continue that awesome bond that we know that we have with our dogs. Um, that's, the, that's the most inspiring, I guess, and the thing I'm most proud of. Um, on a micro level, it's been uh, the ability to tackle as a company and as an individual, no matter what's been thrown in our face. Um, the company that manufactured our active ingredients actually exploded, like literally blew up the day before we were ready to launch and we had no materials to make our the product with. So a month before we were ready to launch, we had no materials. We had to source materials from another place that was actually you know, our backup place um, right at our launch. Um, so it's those sorts of things where you say, okay, What's the most unexpected thing I could expect or not expect? <laughs> and it's well over the top of that. You will see being hit with things that you don't expect and being able to deal with them. I think that's probably personally one of the proudest things um, I have in being an entrepreneur is you know, it doesn't matter what comes at me. I'll just, just move around it, dodge it, move on, work through it, and just work the problem until I've got an answer. So I guess that's oh, I my proudest that. piece. I love that. Um, and I love hearing these stories too. One of the most fun things about doing this and, and being an entrepreneur and meeting with other entrepreneurs is hearing some of the crazy stuff that happens that you never, ever would imagine happens that does. Like a place blowing up. <laughs> you yeah. have to like that could only happen if you're an entrepreneur. Nobody else in the world is going to experience something like that happening. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You have, to, you have to jump every hurdle. That's for sure. It's, uh, you're guaranteed as an entrepreneur to face unexpected issues um, and how you deal with them really is the, the test of the metal of and your company and yourself as an entrepreneur. And I think that's what I'm most proud of is 
we've been hit with a lot of things. You know, changes in contracts, licensing things changing. We've had you know, the factory explode. We've had um, you know all sorts of unexpected things. And every one of them, our team has come together and said, right, where's the where's the solution? Nobody's talked about the problem. Everybody's talking about the solution. And you know, that's one thing that I'm really proud of, that I've got a team that can huddle around to, to fix anything if it needs fixing. So. And, and it makes it way more fun, right, to do it with the team and have that. Oh, and yeah. then afterwards, when it's all, when the dust has all settled, I'm <laughs> not yeah. using that as a figure of speech here, yeah. um, but when the dust is all settled, you can kind of look back at it and almost laugh together. Right? It's like, holy yeah. cow, what, what, yeah. it, what just happened? Like, what just happened, yeah, once you've made it through to the other side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, the, and the best entrepreneurs, I feel like, always look at the things as exactly how you said. I can't control what happened. All I can control is what's next, what I do next. And you've done that so well, and you've illustrated that so well for us here today. That like that, that is really the key to successful entrepreneurship. Is just it's always the next thing, always the next decision. Yeah, yeah. Just keep on going, and you know, for us, what does the future look for like for Animal Bio? I mean, we're we're developing new um, technologies in aging for animals. Um, you know, we'll diversify by species. So we'll be doing leap years for cats and leap years for horses um, in time. You know, that's not necessarily the next few months, but they're certainly in the pipeline of what we're looking at. 29th is leap years day this year, being February 29th. Um, we get an extra day this year. We get one extra day. So we will be celebrating leap years day um, at Animal Biosciences. Um, and we're getting people to uh, let us know what they would do with the extra day with their dog. So. The uh, campaign is make every leap count um, and people can post photos of their dog of what they would do or stories about what they would do with their dog to make every leap count. Um, So we'll be doing that um, over the rest of February um, and we'll be selecting winners who will actually win a year's supply of leap years for their dog um, for the best post about uh, make every leap count. So we're we're moving into the 29th of uh, February um, quite heavily. Um, as far as the rest of our pipeline, um, we have access to a number of companies with uh, new technologies in aging. So David's lab at Harvard, as I mentioned, has developed uh, both molecules that extend lifespan, but now they're looking at gene therapies that can extend lifespan or even reverse aging. Um, at Animal Biosciences, we have access to that Harvard technology um, but we're also connected with a number of biotech companies in the human space um, who are looking to take technologies into the animal space and letting us assist with them to to do that. So we're looking, we're constantly looking at the next best thing for pets, uh, the best need state. Um, you know, osteoarthritis is a big need state. Cognitive decline is a big need state. Mobility is a big need state. But just generally extending lifespan, we now know it can be done. Um, so we're looking for all the technologies to do that. It's, uh, we'll put the next, the next molecule or the next therapy in and, and take it through the pipeline the same way we, we did with this one. That's awesome. Very well, cool. you've got a, you've Very got a cool. process now. <laughs> so <laughs> well, hopefully it'll be smoother uh, yeah, for the I'm next, not, next set of I'm, things that you do. I'm sure it'll change. I'm sure it'll change. <laughs> Well, Nick, we really, really appreciate you joining us today and, and just, you know, dropping knowledge on us and uh, just, get, you know, kind of taking us behind the curtain uh, on your journey and also with animal bioscience and, and Leap Years. So I just want to encourage our, our listeners to, you know, learn more about the Leap Years product. Um, it's for any dog, any size, and there's different dosages, dosages that are available um, through the different, you know, kind of product types that they have there. Um, so just encourage everybody to visit leapyears.com, um, to find out how it can impact your dog and and what some of the results have been, um, both not just clinically, but in the real world, uh, with what owners have been experiencing and saying about it. So we do have a promo code, uh, so you can grow and get you 15% off and that can be combined with other promos. So Nick, we appreciate you extending that to our listeners, um, and looking forward, uh, for everybody to learn more about it and give feedback. And, you know, if you've got a dog, you want to have a, a better life, I think it's a great product uh, to, to look at. Great. Thanks for listening to this episode of So You Can Grow. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and review wherever you get your podcast. 
To connect with us, visit nourishandso.com slash podcast or email us at podcast at nourishandso.com.